I knew exactly what I wanted to do as soon as I did it. Like this, these are the individuals I want to work with, those that are experiencing homelessness and those that are staying out. You're listening to the Mental Health Download from the nonprofit Mental Health Association Oklahoma. I'm Matt Gleason. Today, our very special guest and our guest for the very last time, question mark? No, say it's not so. <laughs> Is Noe Rodriguez. Uh, so Noe, I've known Noe for many years here at Mental Health Association Oklahoma. He has led our street outreach program from nothing. He built it from nothing. And it is just, it's grown and grown since then. It's an honor to call Noe my friend. And so today, what we're going to be doing is, this is going to be a Noe Rodriguez greatest hits package of stories that I know uh, that Noe has told that I make him tell other people. And then maybe some questions that I haven't asked him over the years. Uh, So this is a very big deal for me. Uh, Noe is sadly... Moving on to be the number two in command at the day center here in Tulsa. We're very happy for him. We're also very sad to see him go, but we know he'll remain our friend. All right. So, and, and Noe, uh, I call Noe something that probably no one other than his mother uh, and his family call him, but his full name is Noe Candelario Rodriguez III. That's right. Good job, man. Welcome, Noe. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay. So, you know, my first question, Noe, is why are you leaving? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. You know, Matt, I love the Mental Health Association and what the mission is here. Working with you and with my team and with uh, staff across the board has been just a great blessing to me and to the work that we do and the work that I do. And so this was a great opportunity for me and for my family, uh, continuing continuing to work with individuals experiencing homelessness and at the same time being able to uh, affect maybe a more systemic change is exciting. And so being the associate, the associate director at the day center is a great opportunity for me. And uh, I'm looking forward to the challenge and meeting. And I know a lot of the people that work there and I'm excited to work with them and working with the people that are staying in the shelters and are uh, coming in for day services as well. So uh, yeah, I'm excited about the opportunity and uh, that I get that I get to have an opportunity to do that is exciting. So, um, and for people who don't know, tell us what the day center does. Well, the day center shelters, I think they average about 125 individuals a night. They also have, uh, day services. They have case management there. Uh, they have a clinic as well. And so, um, it's a place where individuals can come in every day, you know, and feel welcome and accept it, uh, a place where they can uh, work on on their goals to get uh, off the streets or out of the shelters into their own place. And so, uh, yep, that's they, they do a lot more. But as far as I know, those are the, the main things. They also have rapid rehousing. They help individuals uh, with um, uh, finances when they first, you know, find an apartment. A lot of times that's a struggle to get the uh, application fee to uh, uh, or the uh, deposits. And so they help with that as well. So with all that being said, let's let's hop in the Wayback Machine and let's let's uh, let's let's go back to the beginning, Noe. All right. OK, so uh, <laughs> let's start at you wanted to become a pastor, correct? 
yeah, that was, you know, we're, we're going way, way back. back. We're going way yeah. back. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I felt a calling, you know, back when I was uh, 17, 18 years old. And so I uh, became a licensed minister uh, at West End Baptist Church in, in inner city Houston. And so I uh, went to uh, Oklahoma Baptist University and uh, I went to seminary at Baylor and then graduated here from uh, Phillips Theological Seminary. I got ordained through the Southern Baptist Baptist uh, Convention through my church in uh, Valley Mills, Texas, uh, which is about 20 minutes outside of Baylor. And so, yeah, my calling was to work with the individuals that are that are in need, that are struggling. I always felt a calling, but wasn't here uh, about 10 years ago working at John 316 Mission uh, that I really felt a calling for those. I knew exactly what I wanted to do as soon as I did it. Like this, These are the individuals I want to work with, those that are experiencing homelessness and those that are staying out. Yeah. And how did you make that transition from being in the ministry to John 316? Well, uh, so I was the family pastor at John 316. Uh, I was associate pastor at Valley Mills when I was at Baylor for about three or four years, but I've always been a minister. I mean, whether I've always felt like it's not just, you know, it's not just a job, but it's who I am, who I am at when I'm at home, when I'm, you know, uh, at work, it, uh, this minister you know, title, so to speak, is is more just a way of life and the way I see life. And so, uh, pastoring people, I, you know, I, I've never felt a call. I mean, I've I've pastored, associate pastored in a church, but uh, maybe more non traditional ministry. And so, John three sixteen provided that, even though I had a uh, my title was a family care pastor, uh, I was definitely in a role of a minister. I wasn't leading a church or a congregation, but more uh, uh, providing, uh, you know, financial assistance and and those uh, monetary things that people need when they are. Uh, you know, living day to day, uh, making, you know, less than minimum wage at times, trying to help them meet those needs. And so I've always felt a calling to meet needs of individuals and minist- ministering to people is is who I am and, and what I, you know. So even though it's a title, it's really a part of me. And that's really where you started doing your first uh, homeless street outreach, right, at John 316? <sighs> Right. Back in 2009, they had uh, an outreach called Search and Rescue, and um, nobody was doing it at the time. They were in some transition, and so I decided that's something that I would like to do and uh, started doing that. And shortly after, uh, there was a couple other individuals that were doing it. We just worked together within the shelter uh, to do an outreach team. It was myself and uh, Scott Blackburn, who's at the Coffee Bunker, and of course, Zach Boyd, who works uh, with the Mental Health Association. Uh, We were going out to the levee, we're going under the bridges, working with people. And what we found is that, uh, you know, they were disconnected and uh, they were hesitant to work with us. So, you know, at the time, what we were offering was shelter and a meal. And so it uh, just wasn't enough for me. You know, I, I wanted to move people off the levee, off the bridges into, into something else. And so, uh, saw what Away Home for Tulsa was doing with Pathways. And uh, I remember uh, 
one hot afternoon, I was on the levee and there's this gentleman coming out and he has uh, khaki pants on and he looks really nice. Uh, his name was Christopher Scott. He was doing uh, Pathways. He was a Pathways case manager and he was with the Mental Health Association. And I was like, what are you doing? And he said, you know, I'm working with the people out here trying to, you know, uh, find housing and wrap services around them. And I said, I really liked that model, you know, because when you're out on the levee and you're disconnected from the case management of the shelter system, you really don't have that advocacy piece and it's it can be tough navigating the system. And so it wasn't too long after that that there was a, a job posting for uh, H3OK uh, Pathways uh, case manager supervisor. And so, uh, so I took a stab at it, met Cynthia Rory, who interviewed me, and, and this was exactly uh, what I wanted to do. I mean, the, the type of robust, intensive case management services that uh, H3OK was providing, or the Mental Health Association, sorry, was providing through that grant uh, was r fit right in with, with what I saw the need was within the community and what I wanted to be a part of. What year was this? This was 2015. Okay. And so um, you came on and Pathways was really the, the heart of that um, is exactly what you always envision, street outreach. Um, you did that. You supervised that program for three years? Three years. And yeah. when that grant ended, tell me how what the conversation that you had with our CEO, Mike Bros, um, that led to um, your... Your dream. So uh, there was uh, there was a transition piece there, and you know uh, Isaiah Gibson, who's who's a director here over employment at the association, uh, really did that kind of end transition to the end of H3OK, and talking to Mike about an opportunity to uh, do street outreach. I mean, we saw gaps in our services here with people that are unsheltered. We recognize that, you know, we're giving individuals bus token tokens, asking them to go to Social Security, asking them to go to DHS, and they're not able to do it for whatever reason. And so this intense case management that was working with H3OK just fit right in with street outreach. We saw individuals that were out 10 years, nine years, and just hitting uh, the uh, the jails or the hospitals and just weren't getting that advocacy that they needed, that case management they needed because they were disconnected. And so um, Mike Bros and Mark Davis, and they're like, here's your opportunity. We're going to give you the time and the energy and you, you provide the energy that you need to go out and, and locate these individuals and get them into um, a fresh start. And, uh, and they gave me reins to just, you know, find those individuals, help them navigate the system and, and, uh, get them into housing, helping them find their own place. And many of them are doing great. And what we realized is that, uh, that it, that was a piece that was missing. If you weren't a part of a certain group, um, then you didn't have those, those services, you know, there's great services for veterans and they do a great job. The VA does, uh, SSVF, uh, barracks for vets through the community service council. They do a great job working with those veterans, but, and they have the resources there. But if you're not a veteran, you don't get those resources. You don't get that case management. You don't get that HUD bash voucher that you're able to get into an apartment. Uh, and so, um, and there are people that are vulnerable that are out there 
that are unsure or for whatever, for whatever reason are not uh, pursuing housing. And so, because it, it can be tough for somebody who is, you know, experiencing untreated mental illness or is uh, struggling with substance use. And so what we found was having somebody out there waiting for the right time and opportunity. And then when they're ready, they know who to contact or they see me out there and you kind of strike while the iron's hot, so to speak. And then you're able to move the needle. And we saw that and it was effective and it is effective. Okay. So... During that that transition um, from H3OK, and H3OK stood for what? Home, Honor, and Health. Right. And so from that transition, when that grant ended to the point where uh, Mike said, look, let's create something that fills in the gaps in services, your street outreach program. Um, I remember when that happened. I remember um, we used to go out um, – Every so often, and I would do uh, street outreach with you. Mostly, I would watch with my cell phone, and I would tweet pictures. And uh, <laughs> it was That's it right. was yeah. one of the highlights <laughs> of my life getting to do that. But I remember us driving around, and you saying, "Maddie, I'm thinking about doing this." And I've talked to my family, and they've given me the green light. It's less money, but we're going to do this. And and it was a leap of faith on your part because it was just. Uh, a team of one, an army of one, of Noe Candelario Rodriguez III. <laughs> How scary was that? You know what? It it wouldn't have been. It was a little intimidating, but uh, just to have that assurance of the association, of you know our CEO and Mark Davis saying, you know what, we believe in your passion and what you're doing, and so we're behind you on this. That was exciting. That that really gave empowered me and gave me the confidence to to step out and just to do this. And he said, you know, uh, we see that there is a need, and uh, and let's see if we can make something out of this. And so, you know, just to have that uh, assurance from your CEO, from your chief program officer, like we see the value in you, and we see the the need in the community. Uh, we're willing to invest in that. And so uh, what a gamble they took, uh, and, and it has been uh, very fruitful. Uh, we've been able to grow uh, this team, and we've been able to uh, really step out and meet the needs of those that are uh, chronic and vulnerable in our community. Okay, so the next step of that was you were doing street outreach in your own personal vehicle, um, going yes. off-road <laughs> like you always did. Um so um, what are some of the, your early memories of that time when it was just you doing nothing but street outreach for eight hours a day? Well, uh, I, I, I'll talk about a, an, an individual we met that was, uh, he was being discharged from the hospitals quite a bit. He was in a wheelchair because he had, he, he had a stroke and he was paralyzed. And so he couldn't go to the shelters because he just couldn't get up. He couldn't take care of himself. And so he would fall out of the chair. Somebody would see him. They would call 911. He'd go to the hospital. He'd get cleaned up. The hospital would discharge him. They would try to discharge him to the shelters. But, you know, that's just not an appropriate discharge for him. He didn't have Social Security. Uh, he didn't have any kind of income or payer source. And so uh, he was just sitting Outside, and when I, I met him off of uh, 15th and, and Utica, 
and he had just rolled himself away from one of the hospitals. They discharged him. He just rolled out and just was sitting there in the hospital gown. And so, um, you know, it was a real challenge because, you know, there wasn't a place for him. You know, he uh, he just couldn't take care of himself and the shelters and the shelters worked with me, too, because as I was working with them, I, you know, collaborated with the shelter saying, look, I will stay with them to try to find him a place. I just need him to be safe uh, for for some nights while we're working on this. And so I enlisted uh, several people uh, that I thought that could help me. You know, the community service council, I called uh, I called. Um, some people that I knew from uh, the Zero family. I called uh, uh, our our CEO here and 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 our everyone I could think of to try because he didn't have a payer source. It made sense that he would go to maybe uh, some type of assistant living, but he didn't have a, a payer mechanism. And so to try to get him Medicaid pending, to get him into a place with Medicaid pending, was a challenge because uh, if we didn't get Medicaid, then it would be up to the nursing home or the assisted living facility to uh, cover his cost. And so uh, we got a hold of the, the Nakanos group, and there was um, a facility or, 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 or a, a nursing home they had in Enid, and they were working on Medicaid pending. This was after we called maybe 30 or 40 a nursing so nursing homes and they were very hesitant about you know because he didn't have a pair source um, but they took a chance and they were able to get him what he needed they transported him we had john 316 uh let him stay for a couple of nights and uh they transported him to enid where he's that's where he's at they got him connected to medicaid and he, he has a pair source now and he's doing great but he's not on the streets and it took a lot of work a lot of phone calls emails trying to make that happen. And because he was outside of the shelter system, um, he just didn't have that. And he could not have done that on his own. You know, I was able to get in contact with his brother who lived out of state. Uh, he drove down. We sat down to talk about how we're going to do this. He didn't have uh, the financial means to take care of his brother either. Uh, and so we were able to coordinate also with uh, the nursing home to make sure he had a contact or an you know, emergency contact if something happened to him. And so that took a lot of work, but we were able to do that. And uh, uh, that, that was a, a a win for him and a win for us. I felt like, you know, things are happening. Uh, we're collaborating. And this is, and he was an example of, you know, from this point on, if I'm doing homeless street outreach, I have to collaborate with the community because I don't have uh, the resources to do this. Um, so that, that leads in nicely to that collaboration and some of the collaborations that happened that had never happened before. So talk about how, you know, you really kind of became uh, a part of this amazing work along with law enforcement, the fire department, um, other nonprofit agencies, you know, the courts, I mean, every, everything. Right. Because what we're, you know, what we're finding is uh, those that are unsheltered that are staying out are hitting all these systems of care, the emergency rooms, having contact with security and downtown police officers or, and so building relationships and rapport with them was important too. So it wasn't just, you know, uh, you need to move along. They now have a contact to say, look, there's something else going on here. I can't help you. I'm, in my role as a police officer is to do this job, but maybe I can connect you to somebody who can work with you, do the case management you need. And, uh, 
you know, they're the eyes and ears. They're out there every day, you know, or someone in the, uh, we have a, a social worker in the emergency room saying, look, I see you all the time. I know you're unsheltered and let me find some services within the community to connect you to. And, and that has been great as well. So, but that all started with getting out there, uh, telling, uh, these agencies what I do, how I can help. And it's really, like you said, it's really just connecting them, uh, to services and getting them in front of the right people. And sometimes it's a matter of just transportation. You know, they just can't get there. And being that person that can pick them up from the emergency room after they've been discharged, walk them into the day center, talk to uh, a case manager, get them in front of them and start letting them know what he needs and, and what's going on with him uh, or, you know, connecting him to uh, the VA or, or connecting her to uh, Divis. And so having those connections out in the community is so vital in the work that we do because we're meeting individuals that are out there vulnerable, exposed to the elements, and then they're just in a, in a really tough spot. You know, they've lost everything. They don't feel like anyone's uh, for them. And to have case managers and myself to be out there to say, look, I can be an advocate for you. Uh, let's 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 start working on getting you out of this place into your own place. And a part of that is that you had champions in the community that were helping you make those connections. And one of your your biggest champions is Becky Frank uh, with the Schnocky Turbo Frank um, agency here in town. Tell us how Becky really stepped up and gave you an opportunity to share what you do with some of the most influential people in Oklahoma. Uh, what Becky Frank did was she uh, put, she created uh, a dialogue for us through uh, having CEO breakfast. And so she would contact CEOs downtown and uh, we would meet for a morning meeting and some breakfast and talking about with and and bill major was there as well uh talking about what the community is doing to address a homelessness and also uh highlight what we're doing in terms of people that are unsheltered that are staying out maybe you know in the downtown area or uh, tulsa county and so we talked about uh, my role in the community uh what i what Mental Health Association is doing to address those that are unsheltered, experiencing homelessness, and what the community is doing. Uh, Way home for Tulsa, and at the, and at the time, I and I was the uh, leading the task force of our coordinated homeless street outreach. And so uh, she, ha I, I might have been to maybe a dozen uh, of those uh, morning meetings and uh, had really good conversation and talking about uh, what we're doing out there and how they could help. You know, we offered them to come on ride alongs with me to see what uh, what's going on within the community. We had uh, aid uh, corporations uh, donate uh, four by four trucks so we could so I could get out of my car uh, and uh, and that has been a huge. Uh, uh, blessing to be able to do that, to go off road and and, and to uh, you know grab their their personal belongings because they're about to go and sign a lease uh, to get into their new home, and so to have that has been great, and that's because of her efforts to um, 
to shine a light on those that are experiencing homelessness uh, and letting uh, having just this dialogue with with those CEOs to let them know that the community is doing something. And, and if you want to help, here are ways you can help. Um, and so I just really appreciate her being a champion for what we're doing. Yeah. Because of champions like Becky Frank and uh, among many other amazing people, your team grew from a team of Noe to you You have funding for how many people on your team now? Uh, three. Yeah. So, um, and we're looking to fill that team, um, including replacing you, which is uh, still sad. I'm still sad, Noe. No. <laughs> um, but anyway, that team will, will continue to grow and do um, a lot of good. And one of the final tasks that you will do for our organization is um, you're going to go to Oklahoma City um, soon and give a presentation advocating for a street outreach and rapid response team in Oklahoma City, right? Correct. Yeah, I'll be uh, uh, presenting with MJ, who has just done a MJ fantastic Clawson. job. Yeah, MJ. MJ Clawson. I love MJ. Yeah. Yeah, she is phenomenal. We have some great people in this organization, and MJ is is absolutely one of them. And so uh, I told her that I, if she if she wanted me, I would be more than happy to come down and just uh, share what we have done in Oklahoma. I mean, what we have done in Tulsa with homeless street outreach. And so hopefully that helps. Um, what what kind of need is there in Oklahoma City for street outreach? Well. I, I have been to uh, a meeting where they've had their coordinated street outreach, and Oklahoma City is so much bigger, like the county, Oklahoma City County, I think. And so you can see that there's a lot of driving that's happening. And so I imagine that there's uh, outreach teams, and so just to be able to be kind of the glue or the conduit that they need to uh, reach out to those outreach teams and and give them support as well as having opportunity to go to the encampments and to people staying out and build rapport and relationships with them is important. So to have somebody uh, be that person and to have the mental mental health association have a person like that would be so valuable, not just for a certain group of people, but for anyone who is chronic and anyone who is vulnerable to say, look, I'm going to spend my energy and effort on you because I see that you need it and you're disconnected. Uh, you don't have to sign up for a program. You don't have, I don't have to wait for you to make it to our office and then you can have the services. I'm going to give you the, uh, uh, the case management you need right now. When you're willing, I'm here. So that is exciting to have somebody like that. Okay. So we're, we're back to the present. We're all caught up. So now I want to really get into the greatest hits of Noe. Um, let's have some fun. Okay, man, there's so many stories and there's so little time. Yes. So uh, let's, let's hit. Um, so <laughs> one of the things, whatever, whenever we go to lunch, I'm like, oh, Noe, tell that story. Okay, so one of the things, Noe, um, tell me the, uh, <laughs> and it's hard not to like laugh. Um, so uh, a lot of people think that what you do, street outreach is dangerous and that you probably, you know, come across people and this is wrong, you know, that people who have mental illness, people who are experiencing homelessness, that they're dangerous. Um, you know, the fact is that people with mental illness are 11 times more likely to be the victim of violence than to perpetrate it. Um, so uh, but that's a question that you get. Like, do you worry about your personal safety? So, Noe, tell me about the only time in your professional career that you had a knife pulled on you. 
Okay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I was not, I had just moved back to Tulsa. I needed a job. My wife was a teacher and I was, uh, anyway. So uh, I got a job with the gas company. It, well, it was like, a, they were contractors. We uh, checked uh, gas lines. We had this little wand with this little machine and it detected, you know, natural gas. And so uh, this one house, the uh, gas meter was in the basement. And so the lady, uh, I knocked on the door. When I knocked on the door, the door pushed open. And so that was a little weird. And then the lady comes up. She's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, hey, I'm with the uh, uh, so-and-so uh, gas agency. And I had a little truck that had my little logo on it. And I said, look, I need just, I just need to check your uh, meter just to make sure it's not, uh, you know, leaking any gas. And she was like, okay, still kind of questioning, you know, uh, what's going on. And so she shows me where the basement is. And I go into her kitchen down to the basement and have my little wand. And I'm checking the the meter and is everything's fine so as i'm coming back up i guess she realized i just let this strange man in my house and so as i get to the kitchen from the stairs uh, she pulls out a knife and she's really upset like what are you doing what's going on and i'm like ma'am uh, this and i just explained what i explained to her at the door and i pull my wand out and i keep my wand in front of in between me and her and like just I just want to leave and we're rotating through the through the kitchen as she's going more towards the steps where I came from and I'm going more towards the door that leads outside to the front door and I'm like ma'am I'm I just want to leave I just want to leave and she's telling me to leave with this knife that she has and so of course I leave and but that is yeah that was the only the only time that I had that you feared for your a, a life not, that I feared for my life, and it wasn't even doing uh, homeless street outreach. <laughs> oh, I yeah. love that story. Okay, uh, my other favorite thing, and um, is uh, so Noe. Uh, so I handle media relations, and so um, Noe has been uh, just an amazing, amazing um, person to do a million different interviews. He's always been kind to do them. Um, <laughs> You you once yeah. did a you once did a uh, a Telemundo interview. Um, I did. Yeah. I did. Tell, uh, what what happened in that interview? Oh man! Well, uh, I don't have the best Spanish. You know, uh, I would say maybe level two. The beginning of Spanish too, maybe. Uh, my wife is a Spanish teacher, so she might say different. But uh, we had Telemundo come out. They were so excited. Uh, you know, they I guess they see, you know, no, Noe Rodriguez. And they're like, yes, you know. And so they show up. They put the mic on. And, I'm, and I told the, the reporter, I said, hey, I, you know, I can speak Spanish, but very little. So uh, maybe better to, that I just speak English. And she said, oh, yeah, no problem. Absolutely. You know, uh we, we can work through that. And so, yeah, they did that. And uh, I told my mom about it and she saw it and it was, she was excited. You know, it was a big thing to be on Telemundo, you know, I mean, yeah. and, but the best part about that is, you know, they dubbed my voice with this really very masculine, deep voice. It sounded really good. I mean, uh, it did, even though the voice was going and my mouth was moving, you could tell it was not my voice, you know, but I, I didn't care. I was on Telemundo and I appreciate it. Yes. <laughs> oh man. Um, and and so we we actually were uh, you were so successful in being in the media that it became almost a joke uh, that you were uh, you you were the poster boy and um, and so 
uh, we were we, we were part of a beautiful, wonderful Tulsa People story about the community-wide collaboration to end homelessness here in Tulsa. And ob- and then, of course, you end up on the cover because you are... No, no, no. I wasn't on the cover. No? But they... I No, I wasn't oh, on the you, cover. Yeah, but you were the... Uh, you were... So... But I did get a front... I did get a full page yes. in the... Yes, yeah. And and, <laughs> and you you have a certain... Uh, no, uh, I've always said that you missed your calling as an Abercrombie and Fitch uh, model. Mm. You're always wearing the plaid. Like, you look like straight out of the pages... Uh, you're very photogenic, and uh, but you when you get your picture taken, you have a pose, and and I know you don't think about it, but it it's like blue steel. It's like <laughs> okay, uh, all right, all right, Maddie, you, you and Ashley Gunnels and Jennifer Rivera and even Mike Bros have have um, have have, and so, have thrown a little shade uh, my way, if you will, uh, but. So, so you know, I, I it's just my regular face, man. I know, I know. Just my regular, yeah. So tell, uh, so tell the audience what happened uh, with that photo from Tulsa People. What did your intern, then intern, who now is full time with us, who we're about to have lunch with after this podcast, Ashley Gunnels? What did Ashley do with that photo? So Ashley um, framed it in a very nice frame and put it in my office right above my desk so uh people when they walk in could think that i'm full of myself apparently that i would put this picture in this beautiful frame right in front of my desk so i could look at it every day uh you know so she she did it in jest but also you know uh she said i did it because i appreciate you and what you're doing but it it looks more like the other way it looks more like she's you know uh you know giving me a hard time and what did she do uh, with the stickers? Tell them about the stickers. So with that picture, she uh, there's a company that it was that Instagram. You, is it Instagram? Yeah. Okay, so there's you can crop the face, and she cropped my face from that picture, and she sent off to make stickers. And they're about half an inch of my face. And she has just been giving those stickers out. And uh, one time we were in a, in a community meeting. There was maybe 40 or 50 people in this meeting. And she pulled out those stickers. And uh, Jim Lyle, the former uh, associate director of uh, the Community Service Council, saw those and thought it was hilarious. And he just grabbed a whole page of those stickers and started handing them out to everybody, which was really embarrassing for me. Uh, but it was funny to everybody else. So... I uh, just want to thank you, Ashley Gunnels, uh, for embarrassing me. Appreciate it. Um, and so those those little tiny noes, we call them mini noes, uh, they ended up all over the place across the association. A lot of people use them to cover up the, the little video camera on their laptops. So everybody looked at every morning. They could see little baby Noe on their computer. Yeah. I have a uh, an ID badge that has my face on it, and I put Noe's face on mine. And I thought it was funny, and then I just left it on there oh. and didn't really think about it until someone was like, "Wait, is what you? Because I'm bald, you have lovely Abercrombie hair." Um, and people <laughs> were like, "Did you have? What, what, when did you lose all your hair? You had such lush hair." Um, but um, what was great is I left it on there, and um, uh, so this was more than a year ago that I did this, and 
it was great because when I was talking to reporters or I was out in the community and people would look at my badge and they saw your face, they'd be like, wait, what is that? And I would say, let me tell you about my friend, Noe Rodriguez. And so it was a great conversation starter. Uh, I will admit that uh, last week as a cleansing process, Noe, like, uh, like, you know, how uh, um, when you break up with a girlfriend, um, you like burn all their stuff <laughs> as a cleansing right. ritual. I removed your face from my badge. It was it was time. Good for you. Good for you. Yeah. It's time to let go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, you're going to be all right. You're going to be all right. Okay. I'll take your word for that. Okay. Uh, we're running out of time, but I want you to tell me the, the one of my favorite stories about you um, because you it just happened and I didn't find out about it until later. So to set this up, we hop in your car, we go um, through the woods, over ravines, I mean, an adventure in East Tulsa, and somehow um, we end up um, in this, like, wooded area and this gentleman has built a cabin and it's unlike anything i could imagine um so i'm gonna let you pick up the story from there okay all right so it's so uh this gentleman uh built a teepee a big teepee and he was working out he had a flu so he could keep warm in the teepee he he built a porch with a covering he had uh, some solar panels that he found, and he had it connected, some wires connected to a battery, and so that would charge his uh, his radio. And so he listened to NPR quite a bit. And, and I've known him, I, I have known of him for a while because we did, you know, like I said, we did outreach back in uh, 2000 and, or 2009 with John 316. So I knew he was out there, had worked with them. He very polite, very uh, intelligent uh, gentleman. He graciously declined. And so when I started this new role, a street outreach, I really got to just sit and invest some time uh, listening to him, talk, talking with him. And, you know, there's always uh, maybe sometimes, not, not always, but there's sometimes there's a reason uh, that they need a reason to move out of where they are. You know, he seemed pretty comfortable there. He had made his life there for about eight, nine years and so he needed a reason. And so as I'm talking to him, he says, hey, I got these uh, tickets uh, for riding my bike with no light in the dark, you know, at night. And he said, I think there are warrants now. I'd really like to take care of them. And I said, guess what? We have a, a docket, a special service docket that can do just that for municipal tickets or warrants. And so he said, yeah, I, I want to do that. And so we got him connected. I drove him there to the court. He said, uh, the judge said, I need you to be working with your case manager on, on you know, a plan. Uh, don't get any more tickets and just uh, we'll see you each month. And so he said, okay, what's the plan? And I said, well, the plan is to, you know, get you into your own place. What do you think about that? He said, okay. And this gentleman was a veteran. The VA had been already out there communicating with him, but he needed a reason to move out of this place. And this was the reason he wanted to take care of his warrants and get those expunged. And working with me and working with the VA, he got a HUD-VASH voucher. He has his own place. He's doing great too. He's been housed for over a year, maybe almost two years now. And so, uh, yeah, but very, I mean, when I'd go see him, he had listened to NPR most of the day. 
And so he was aware of national news and local news. And so when I'd go see him, he would ask me about, you know, uh, current events that happen in, in Tulsa or what's going on on the national scene. And I'm like, man, I need to get caught up when I talk to him because he knows way more about what's going on in this country than I do. Uh, but just just a, a very uh just a very smart man, and I'm, I'm glad that we were able to work with him. I'm glad, you know, we have the VA here that can do outreach and get them uh, the services that they need, uh, that he deserves, and get him a place. And so, yeah. Um, so I love that story because this was one of the stories that I told everybody. Like, I would uh, just one of these, man, I went out with Noe, and man, this, this guy had this amazing setup, and he had like a porch that he had built with like with pallets that he had, you know, pulled out of garbage cans. And so he had, and it had like a lattice work above it. And um, he had like a fire and it was just, it was amazing. Un unlike anything I'd ever seen. And so I would tell the story a lot and I told it for years. And then one day I was, I was telling the story and Noe was standing next to me and he was like, Oh, Hey Matt. Yeah. I got, I got him housed. I got him. Yeah. He lives in our housing. I was like, Noe. <laughs> And that's that is the Noe way. Like Noe is yeah. too busy getting the next person to achieve housing that he forgets to tell me these amazing stories. Um, and because he's very humble. And anyway, I give him a hard time for not telling me all these amazing stories because there are so many. Anyway, I'm really trying to like what would be the most the best use of our time. Uh, okay, let's talk about. Okay, I've got three in mind. So. 2009 you do your first street outreach right you meet yeah. you meet a gentleman the first person you interact with 2009 yes. yes tell me that gentleman uh the next time you came in contact with him and what were you able to do for him so in 2009 uh he was living uh in like an abandoned railroad yard right and uh really rough guy, you know, obviously wanted to be left alone. Uh, and I've seen since 2009, uh, interacted with him, you know, he's riding a bike, he's, you know, uh, working, you know, collecting cans or whatever. So I'd see him through this whole from 2009 till now, you know, always see him out, talk to him and eh, didn't really want anything to do with me. Uh, at one point, his 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 pet bull uh, had pups and we went out to see him. And this is when I was working at John 316 and uh, had the mayor at the time, Dewey Bartlett, uh, with us and Steve. And uh, since his dog just had pups, she was a little aggressive. And so she attacked me and, you know, and so it was just that kind of relationship where he went very hands off you know even when i was supervisor with h3 okay you know we reached outreached him he was like no i don't you know want any help i don't you know i don't want your help and was just really kind of stands off with me even though we had a good relationship he just didn't want to work with me he knew me and was like okay with me talking to him uh, but about a year ago maybe a year and a half ago now in this new role was able to really just sit and talk to him and invest in him. And he was, and caught him on a really good day. He was tired. He was tired of this. He was like, okay, what do you got? Let's do this if we're going to do this. I said, okay, man. And uh, we did the process, you know, after all this time, after since 2009, you know, the first person I meet out there. And now he is in 
his own place, still in his own place. And that is just, that is just exciting to me, you know, uh, to see him with his key to say, look, no one lock your door. This is your stuff. You know, uh, I think I took, I think you went out with me, uh, and I showed you his encampment, the last encampment that he had, which was off a railroad, uh, uh, an abandoned railroad line. And so, uh, just to let you see where he was staying, he was staying kind of like in the ravine right next to the uh, the railroad tracks. And so uh, to see him, every time I see him, he smiles. He gives me a hard time, of course. Uh, I think that's what people do. The, the people that really like me, they, they decide, I'm just going to give him a hard time because it looks like he needs it. <laughs> so, but he is, he does and he's, you know, he's doing really well. And so this is, uh, he couldn't have done this without what the association does, without uh, what this community has done is doing to reach out to those that are vulnerable that have just been out for so long. And he had been out for so long. He was um, staying out way before I met him in 2009. And now he has his own place and and is doing well. Okay. So I'm going to ask you about one story and then that's going to lead into talking about your dad. So I wanted to leave that for the end because it's a super emotional. So uh, one of my favorite stories that you tell is... And uh, one of the stories I tell the most often now, because his face is on one of our walls here at the association, um, is uh, his name's Scott. He um, he lived on the. I know the story because I tell it probably once a week. Um, uh, but Scott lived on the on the river for about sixteen years, uh, where the gathering place is now. Uh, when they started building the gathering place, they they asked him, please, you know, move on down the river. He built another encampment. That encampment is something that you would probably, if it was on Airbnb uh, and the and uh, some exotic, you know, worldly place, you would pay countless amounts of dollars to stay in this encampment. It was just beautiful. Um, he had dragged all this stone from the river and had all these walkways uh, because he was a former landscaper. He knew every single plant and uh, flower, everything um, about his area. He knew it. Um, he built this amazing tent with the stove underneath it, underneath it. So he would get, he would mine coal from the river and which I didn't know you could do. And you would put it in the stove and warm it during the winter. Um, and it would warm his, his tent as well. Um, and, uh, we went to take some photographs for the photo that ended up on the wall and the photographer leaned into his tent and, uh, Asked him what he was reading, and it was like Kierkegaard or something. Like, and it turns out he was a uh, a TU grad, a University of Tulsa graduate, just unbelievably smart, a veteran, just used all of his survival skills to you know thrive. Um, and so, you worked with him for a long time, and this is another case where. Uh, Noe worked hard to get this person into housing, actually achieved it. Um, and then I found out after the fact. <laughs> um, but one of the, the so the, that's all to say, the, tell me about taking Scott to lunch. Yeah, so um, this was um, maybe in the middle. So we had Scott Blackburn from the Coffee Bunker reached out to me and said, hey, I think you can help this guy. And he doesn't want everyone to know where he's at. And so we went out there and, uh, took some time to get to know him. And, um, 
you know, he was hesitant to work with the VA for whatever reason. I mean, he eventually did, but I was like, let's, you know, we need to go to the VA to, to fill out some of these documents that you need for housing. And he said, okay, I'll do that. And so he loads up his stuff. He was, you know, we head out and uh, this was about lunchtime. And I was like, hey, you know, anywhere you want, you name the place, you name the place, we'll eat there. You know, and he said, you know what? I can't remember the last time I had Long John Silvers. <laughs> and there just happens to be a Long John Silvers off of 44. And I was like, okay, well, let's do it. And so we, we, he ordered him a fish and shrimp basket with some fries and I ordered the same thing. And, and he just sat there and just really appreciated the meal. He said, I feel like a human being, you know, two men sitting together you know, having good conversation. And uh, he said, you know, and this Long John Silver sure tastes good. And and we sat, we talked for a bit, but it was mainly, you know, quiet as he just reflected on some things, it seemed like, and just, just really enjoyed that Long John Silver. He got emotional, and which he kind of laughed about, like, you know, uh, but just he understood just and appreciated just what we were doing there. And and the treatment that he was getting. And, uh, you know, uh, of course, this is how you treat everybody with kindness and respect, no matter what class or social economic status they have, you know. And so he just appreciated that. And, and I appreciate him just uh, sharing that with me. And so, yeah, it's Long John Silver, man. That was, that's, you know. Uh, um, okay. So that leads into your dad. Right. Uh, you know, my dad is a, a, a Vietnam veteran. And he experienced uh, PTSD and trauma and uh, just really couldn't uh, work this life due to war. And uh, he didn't, you know, he didn't go to the VA for services. He could have uh, just kind of this mentality of, you know, uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You, you're not broken. You don't need help. You're a man, you know, and, and that's how he lived the majority of his life. And so um, uh, he had, he struggled with uh, substance use and like I said, mental illness. He lived in substandard housing where he had to run extension cord to another, uh, another house so he could have electricity. Um, and he had all these services. He could have had all these services the whole time. Uh, but, uh, for whatever reason, he just, he just didn't, he just couldn't access or, or didn't want to access it. Uh, and so, uh, you know, working with veterans that, uh, that have experienced those type of trauma and understanding that to some degree, not to understand the experience, but to understand that they're working with things that I, I don't know about and to offer that kind of, uh, compassion and understanding while I'm working with them, um, uh, is 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 important to know uh, because that was my dad he was a very rough man very loud man very intimidating man but um uh, hopefully when he was alive somebody was able to connect with him like i did with the uh with scott and uh we were able to the latter years of his life able to uh get him the services that he needed through the va and get him connected there and and when he passed the uh, the va did a great job uh, with his memorial service and uh we really appreciate all that they did for him at um towards the latter end of his life because he was willing to to accept the uh the help that he deserved so Okay, Noe, I could literally talk to you for hours and hours. I have talked to you for hours and hours. Um, 
You're one of my favorite people on this planet. So, but I'm, we're going to have to wrap things up. So it would be a great honor for me if you would close us out by saying, go do good things. Yeah, I, I can do that. And it has been a, it's been a, just a, a great opportunity to work here and to be a part of what the Mental Health Association is, is doing in Tulsa and in Oklahoma City. So with that, go do good things.